I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to Billboard.com's Chartbeat Podcast. I'm Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts here in New York City, and this is our first episode. Very excited, and thank you for listening. So I also edit Billboard's Chartbeat blog and have since 2009, and if you're familiar, that's where Billboard's entire charts department covers all the news of what's on our various charts, different formats. Uh, also with Billboard's other co-director of charts, who's a big part of that, Keith Caulfield. You may know Keith from Billboard.com's Pop Shop podcast, which he hosts uh, with Katie Atkinson. So what we do in Chartbeat is look at not only what's on Billboard's charts, like the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, the Billboard 200 Albums chart, but also why, what exactly makes songs and albums hits. So that's exactly what the goal of this podcast is going to be, why what's on the charts is on the charts. So in upcoming episodes, uh, we plan to talk to people you might not see front and center, like the artists themselves uh, on hits, but people who are also very responsible for how hits happen. Uh, we'll be chatting with decision makers at record labels, radio programmers, air talent, uh, streaming service executives, uh, songwriters, producers, publicists, a lot more people in the industry, and really just take an inside look at the steps it takes for songs, albums, and artists to get on Billboard charts. So should be hopefully uh, educational, informational, and hopefully fun. And uh, also, before we go any further, just a big thank you to singer-songwriter Sarah J for our theme music. We have an actual exclusive theme song. Uh, very, very excited about that. So uh, let's get started with the very first Billboard Chartbeat podcast. And uh, when the idea uh, came about to have uh, this podcast, it was really no question uh, for me who I wanted to be the first guest it's the person who created the Chartbeat column in Billboard uh, back in the March 28, 1981 issue, Paul Grine. Paul, welcome to the podcast as our first guest. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Honored to have you as our first guest. Read your work for years, and I uh, figured what better place to start the Chartbeat podcast than uh, the person who started Chartbeat all those years ago. So let's, uh, I want to get into a lot about your career as a very uh, distinguished uh, journalist, a music lover, uh, a few decades to uh, go through of, of that, really a fun history for you. But let's just start, Paul, with uh, how Chartbeat actually started. We're going to uh, do this for, for me and all the other chart geeks who have uh, read the column, uh, loved your work for years. 
1981, March 1981, it premieres. What exactly happened that the chart beat the column started in Billboard? I had been writing for Billboard in various capacities for six years at that point. So, so I had covered the charts that whole time, but not in the format of Chartbeat, where it's in one home that you can look forward to every week. Right. Uh, and in January of 81, a new editorial team came in. Adam White, who was the editor, and Irv Lickman, who was the deputy editor, and they obviously were aware of me and gave me the shot. They, they asked, would you like to do this? Would you like to, you know, kind of create something where it can be in a consistent place every week? And obviously I jumped at it Right. and uh, came up with the name, and uh, we just kind of plunged in. So how would you come up with the name Chartbeat? Well, I remember sitting in my apartment at the time and probably had a, a page or two of possibilities. And that one just seemed to, you know, it's catchy, it's, it's uh, quick. Um, and, and the charts do have a rhythm and a, and a life. They are dynamic. And, and uh, records uh, surge to life and records die. And so that that heartbeat analogy seemed apropos. Oh, that's great. And it's it's kind of interesting to me that Billboard started in 1894 and the uh, Hot 100 started in 1958. It's kind of funny in some ways to think that it took that long for uh, the editorial staff to think, geez, we should probably be looking at some of these chart feats that happens uh, that happen every week. We could have been doing that when the Beatles and, and Elvis were having hits uh, years earlier. Yes. Uh, I agree. It was a it was something that really didn't exist at all until '75 is when I first went up to Billboard as a uh, I was still a UCLA college student. I was in my junior year, and there really was no uh, editorial uh, content related to the charts. And that there was in the February 1st, 1975 issue. A little one-paragraph item saying, Elton John's Greatest Hits LP remains the number one product on Billboard's chart for the 11th consecutive week. It's been quite some time since an artist stayed up in the top spot so long. And I wrote a letter to the uh, 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 director of charts, Bill Wardlow, and said, actually, it's its 10th week at number one. It's not the 11th. It's not the 11th week. And you're right, though, it has been quite some time. It's been since Tapestry, uh, which was four years before. Uh, and so he got my letter, and he was, I guess, impressed that, God, he knows more about it than we do. <laughs> so he walked he walked me over to, to Elliot Teagle, who was the managing editor. And within a few months, I was uh, contributing chart stuff for uh, the magazine, some of which were branded as Chart Talk which was sort of a, a forerunner to Chartbeat. But it, but it wasn't the weekly thing that uh, it came to be. And it, you need to have that weekly consistency for something to really catch on. Right. Well, if we had had the Internet back then, it, it obviously would have been so obvious. The appetite that people had for this kind of chart trivia, did did you know at the time that that was something that really interested other people? Was it just you really liking those kind of details that made you so excited about it? Little little combination of both? 
It made me excited. Obviously, AT40 started in 1970. Right. And that same year, Joel Whitburn's books uh, took off. So I, I wasn't alone. Um, I worked at AT40 also in the summer of 75, that pivotal year in my life, uh, as a, just a production coordinator. But I got to know the team over there. And... Um, so I, I think Casey and AT40 did a great deal to popularize the Billboard charts and to uh, uh, bring people into the excitement of what what uh, the charts are all about. Right. That was uh, one of the things we mentioned when uh, Casey passed away not that long ago that uh, everyone at Billboard uh, really owes him such a, a degree of uh, gratitude for how he, he really gave Billboard a voice because that's how so many people learned about the charts. And, and it sounds like you too, Paul. That was a big part of your musical upbringing, listen, listening to Casey and then uh, being a part of the it show. Was, it was. Uh, I listened, you know, when I was 16 uh, you know, to AT40 every week, and I'm still listening to AT40 every week with Ryan right. doing it. So I've come a long way. Well, let's. Uh, but let's, I still, I still love listening to AT40 every week, and I think it's important to keep up. And um, and there's still a lot of great records out every week. Uh, as a listening experience, is very much like it was all those years ago. Yeah, it's a little more uh, lifestyle-driven now, a little more celebrity-driven. You know, Casey didn't have interviews like he does now, but it's. I think it's great that it's evolved to the point where it, it does include that because that's a big part of what music is now. There's such that uh, celebrity element of, of what's going on, and and Ryan's you know maybe the biggest name in, in, in entertainment, all his various media. So what a great voice and face to have for American Top 40 nowadays. Get him on the podcast. <laughs> uh, if he has a free moment, might have to be at uh, four in the morning uh, at some point. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find out. But uh, yeah, we'll get more. I want to get more into your uh, personal music taste, Paul, as we go along here on the first Chartbeat podcast for Billboard.com. Let me uh, ask you about that first column. There was a little little blurb in Billboard that uh, a new feature had started called Chartbeat. That was the headline. New feature, colon, Chartbeat. And uh, what's interesting and we still go by uh, this this motto, basically, when we write uh, all our chart stories today for Billboard.com, for Billboard magazine, that we're not just saying what's on the charts. We're not just saying this is number one for X number of weeks, uh, because as that, that first story said in 1981, it's not just a laundry list of the week's prime movers. They can be gleaned easily from the charts themselves. It's more to look at a perspective and really get into why things are happening on the charts or different trends, whether it's about uh, different styles or uh, something a record label has accomplished or an artist. So it, it really seems like you had this uh, real vision for what the column should be, not just to chart highlights, but really let's, let's look at some of the how and why behind the charts. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, thank you. That was always the idea. Um, I'm looking back at that first one. It was the week that Blondie's Rapture right. uh, shot to number one. Rapture captures Summit for Blondie and Chapman, Mike Chapman being their producer. Right. So that was obviously the lead item, all the ins and outs of that. And then for the second item, I went to the, I looked at the top of the album chart where three rock bands were holding down the top three spots Ario Speedwagon, Styx, and Rush. So that was worthy of note. Over the next several weeks, it, I, it grew. Um, and and got longer and more in-depth. But the basic format of what it would come to be was all right there. Did you talk to readers early on? Did you get feedback? Did you just think this is what I think it should be and what people are probably interested in? I mean, there was no no email back then, so it was a matter of people uh, sending letters, I guess, after the column had become established. How did the direction go early on? I did get letters, and I uh, collected them usually under uh, in a paragraph called "We Get We Get Letters." Right, right. People actually had to, you know, put a stamp on it and take it to the mailbox, <laughs> and uh, it's a different era. Uh, so, so they were invested in in you know at least whatever a stamp was back then, twenty five cents or something. Um, they were invested in the column literally. Now, you know, anybody can just you know, hit send as an email. It's a little less of an investment. Yeah, it's a little different now when we write stories. We have the comment section under uh, all our chart stories, which is generally great because we find out, uh, you know, maybe we even missed a fact. If we got something slightly wrong, people are quick to point out, oh, uh, Rihanna was featured on this song. You didn't you didn't mention that. So we're always just amazed at how readers uh, are so knowledgeable. Uh, it really, uh, it, it just always points out that these are billboard charts, but they're everybody's charts, and we're just sort of steering the ship for everyone going along on, on the musical ride. And it's, yeah, to me, I'm sure you felt the same way. It's it just, it's kind of an honor to, uh, to be the ones presenting that information because music is just such a big part of people's lives. Yeah, I agree. And I also agree how smart the readers are. And uh, I was always amazed at, at, at what they came up with and what they uh, knew because uh, it wasn't, you know, their job to keep, tr- keep on top of all of this. And they, they were just so well-informed and, and uh, witty and, 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 and found the humor in it. And the, um, I'm sure you, you're having the same experience. Yeah, and you, you mentioned humor. That's that's one of the things, too, that I, I think we all noticed, that on the surface, writing about numbers and statistics could get kind of dry if, if you treated it that way. And I think it's kind of important to keep it a fun read because it's it's music. It's fun. And that's one thing I always noticed when I read Chartbeat when you were writing the column, that there, there always was kind of a, a winking humor to, to a lot of what you wrote. That was just uh, your, your personal style that, hey, we, we should have some fun with this. Well, thanks. I always kind of viewed the column as a meal, um, that you should have meat and potatoes in there. It shouldn't all be, you know, 
uh, you know, lemon meringue pie. Right. But you should have some dessert at the end of your meal. So I tried to balance it and have important meaty stuff and also stuff something at the end just for fun. So you started to do the column, and the idea was there from from the edit staff, and you, you start running with it. Was there any worries that, wow, there might come a week where uh, the number one song is the same? There, there's no new number one album on the Billboard 200. There, there's no big debuts. Was there ever fear that, how am I going to fill this, this blank space every week? No, <laughs> that, that <laughs> never happened. There's, uh, you know, there are obviously weeks where all hell breaks loose on the charts. Right. And then there are weeks where less happens, but there's always plenty to write about. Maybe you can catch up on some ideas that you've had for a while that you didn't have room for. Um, the second week uh, that I did it, April 4th, I had my first theme column or a, a, a secondary column about... Uh, Smokey Robinson's Being With You became Motown's 88th number one. So he also had written the first one by The Miracle, so uh-huh. I traced that. And then a few weeks after that, I had my first list, uh, which I did periodically, lists in the column. And that was of uh, the top 15 solo Beatle hits. So within the first couple of months, a lot of the features that I would come back to uh at least we got got started with. And you said that you got a lot of letters. Was response good internally as well? The editors were, were pretty happy with how it was going? Yes. Yeah, I think everybody, it, it, it filled a niche. Like you say, it should have been there all along. It should have been there back in the Beatles years and the Elvis years. It would have been, would have been great. Uh, I give a lot of credit to Joel Whitburn for everything, but he had periodic columns that were ads, but in the early 70s, before Charpy came along, even before I came along to Billboard, um, he would have essentially chart columns, maybe one every two or three months, and um, talking about Elton John's album or you know a few different things. And yeah. it was to promote his books, but it, it also reflected that basic idea. Yeah, he has uh, been a great partner uh, with Billboard. I actually had the pleasure of interviewing him uh, a couple times, including uh, 2014 when it was uh, Billboard's 120th anniversary. He's still up in Wisconsin uh, doing all those great Billboard reference books. If you go to recordresearch.com, you can see all the different uh, books that Joel publishes. Uh, There's an online subscription where you can get all uh, Billboard chart history for so many different charts. Joel is is still going uh, really strong, still a huge music fan. And he's got, uh, I've never been there, but he's got a basement full of every song that's ever charted on the Hot 100 going back to 1958. So not sure you get uh, a bigger music fan than uh, than Joel. So uh, he's he's great. Uh, it's great that uh, you're able to use his information from that. And you're talking about uh, the the rhythm of the charts. Uh, so much is cyclical. Uh, when, when I talked to Joel last uh, in, in 2014, uh, Paul, we were saying at that time how women uh, were ruling the charts. It was all uh, Megan Trainer and Taylor Swift uh, having a a record run at number one. 
And uh, uh, Joel was saying how, right, that's, you know, the Supremes had had a big run in, in the 60s and Donna Summer in the 70s and some other uh, female artists. So we see a lot of trends uh, come and go. And I actually quoted you recently when uh, we had this run. We're, we're in the middle of it now of uh, nine in a row non-American artists, number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It's been uh, nine months of number ones by acts uh, from England and uh, other countries. Rihanna is uh, from Barbados. Drake is from uh, Canada. So you know, we're looking back. Is this a record? Nine in a row. And it, it didn't take long before I wound up back uh, in our bound volumes that we have here in our New York office uh, that I was reading a chartbeat column written by Paul from uh, 1985 where it was eight in a row that it hit number one. So it, it's funny how much stuff, you know, we still go back to the work that, that you did. We, we should all thank you here at Billboard for, for helping us out and, and doing some work, uh, even each week for us now, because we, we come up with these records and see, you know, when the last time something happened, and then we can look back at an old column, and, and you've already done that original work. It, it's amazing how much uh, change is the only constant when it comes to rock history. Thanks, Gary. I agree, too, that everything is cyclical in, in music, and um, uh, patterns keep repeating and uh when cake by the ocean you know is in the top 10 now i was thinking oh it's the first cake song since <laughs> awb's cut cut the cake <laughs> right now you uh, we could do it you know the history of of uh pastry uh double entendres but. Well, we've been joking recently too with uh seven years by lucas graham there's a cake by the ocean and there's a graham cake and graham both in the top 10 <laughs> <laughs> and, and and Lucas Lucas Graham is a Danish pop band, so we've got Danishes too. And evidently, that's his name. There's a, the lead singer and the group, and yes. Christopher Cross was, you know, a, the lead singer and a group for a time. Right uh, now, we think of him as a solo artist, but yeah. So there, the, everything comes around. Yeah, it's got to be. I think it's one of those things, sort of like sports. How you know you you wind up following music. In, in sports the same way because maybe you learned it from your parents. So, you know, as much as listening to music, liking music, liking trivia about music is a personal thing, it, it's also bonding. You know, it's you're not just in a vacuum. You're, maybe some of these fun facts are things you've talked about with families and, and friends. So it's, it's again, it, it, I always go back to what a, what a human element it is, what we're writing about. I agree. Also, politics. You know, there are a lot of uh, statistics related to politics. We're in an election year, and you hear a lot of the commentators say everybody who's won Iowa and New Hampshire has gone on to be the nominee. You know, that they have to know their stats the same way music, you know, chart people do and sports writers do. Right. Every every field, there's a desire to quantify and to. Um, Create order, and and uh, and make things definitive or, or or orderly in all fields, and and we're lucky that that certainly is true in music. Yeah, we're we're competitive people as a as a country or, or as a as a species, I guess. Right? We we, we want to know what's number one. Right. And and what's the most number one of all the number ones? So if you know, Rihanna's number one, where does she rank against the Beatles and Mariah Carey? We always kind of want to keep taking it another step to see who's the best of the best. Yes. All right, let's take it back to, to the, the really early beginning, Paul, even even before uh, Billboard. Uh, was was young Paul a music fan? Were you a writing fan early on? Where did where'd you muse, your, your love of music and writing uh, begin? 
Actually, I was not a early music fan. I was 16 before I got uh, into music oh. in 1971. So for somebody who's made it his life's work, that's kind of late, I yeah. think. I think most people who are like, when did you get into it? No, I was going to say it's actually similar. I was a big sports fan until about 14, and then that's when I almost overnight got into music. So that was uh, 1988, uh, still still my favorite year of music. So, you know, I've read, too, that people say that uh, right around when you're starting high school, that's uh, the music you you feel the most intensely and maybe you take with you uh, for the rest of your life. So maybe that isn't that strange or that uncommon. I think that's true that for everybody there, the music where they were coming of age and kind yeah. of finding themselves will always deep down in their heart be their favorite music all their life, whatever, right. whether it was the big band era or the disco era or today, you know. Um, so I was 16 and discovered all at once American Top 40, uh, Carol King, It's Too Late, The Carpenters, Rainy Days and Mondays, just astoundingly good records. Uh, and everything else that was out that spring and summer and and it was like my life in many ways went from black and white to color because the music was just so uh rich and emotional and and resonant and um and it's i i I, i'm lucky i think that i've always loved music i've always loved there are still records i love i know a lot of people you know, kind of tune out and, uh, you know, don't stay tuned into music. Right. They 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 loved what they loved back then, but they think everything's gone, you know, bad since they were into it. <laughs> or the other way around. They loved the current stuff and, th- you know, couldn't care less about the old stuff. And I, I've loved all eras from, from the start. So take us a few uh, through a few different eras. Who'd you like in the 80s? Who'd you like more in the 90s? What are some of your favorites uh, of now? Now, I think Adele's terrific in The Weeknd. Um, Selena Gomez is a very good singer. I was, was happy to see Justin Bieber have a comeback because I thought he was good yeah. when he had As Long As You Love Me and, and Beauty and the Beat. Uh, he's a good singer. And we, as you know, I'm sure, build up our artists and then, uh, you know, tear them down. And it's a tough business for artists because these are people and these are sensitive people. Uh, they have to be to be to be artists. And, uh, you know, he really took a beating. And I'm glad that he was strong enough. To ju- I'm talking about Justin Bieber now yeah. to come out of it. I've been doing this long enough that, you know, I, I wrote about Michael Jackson when he was, you know, red hot. And then I had the surreal experience of writing about him again when I was writing a similar column for Yahoo Music. Right. Uh, you know, after he died, and it was the strangest thing that every week he was setting records, just as he'd been doing in, 80, in 1983. You know, um, one of the strangest experiences. And I wrote about Whitney when she was hot, and then after she died. So. You do get a sense how 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 difficult pop music is for artists, and they really have to be strong to survive the inevitable uh, cold spells and and down periods. And a lot of them, you know, aren't able to. I would think I, yeah, it's hard to compare eras, but maybe now it's even 
harder than before when you kind of have to live uh, it's so much more of a public life with with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and just everyone kind of wanting to know where you are at any moment and I, I always think well you know sure Taylor Swift has you know if you think about it the greatest life you know, all, the, all these uh, big friends gets to go around the world do shows but it's probably on the other side it, that's a lot of work she's constantly there's never really a break from the career side of things and when you think of it that way that's it's kind of hard to imagine but most of us are never going to know what that's like but th- there is that whole side of it yeah it's true i think you're right that it's probably harder now than ever because there's so much media and there's so much constant exposure and they want that they right. that's their dream and their goal to be famous and have everybody talking about them but be careful what you wish for sometimes yeah and it's also good it used to be if you went away if you you did an album and then maybe you didn't record another one for two or three years you almost had to start completely over with your fan base because newer listeners would have come in there was no way to really follow what you've been doing now i think it's it's easier to kind of carry that downtime, and that probably is the biggest benefit for artists now versus in the past, that they can continue that whole dialogue with their fans and keep that profile, and then when new music comes out, it's not like they've been away that long, and you can also put a song online uh, in between albums. You could never do that before, so there, there is a big benefit that way for artists. Right, I agree. Any uh, favorite artists uh, you've ever met where you pretty much always just uh, cooped up in the Billboard office and, and didn't get out? Did you get to go to shows a lot <laughs> when you were writing Chartbeat, always on deadline? And, and any people you, uh, you really remember, really good memories with? I did go to concerts. I, I, they actually let me out occasionally. <laughs> and um, we, we don't get to do that much. It must have been easier back then. <laughs> we had it I'm soft. And I interviewed a lot of these people. I was talent editor for a few of those years, 84 to 86, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, so I interviewed you know, Carol King and Backrack and David and uh, Michael Jackson and Donna Summer and a lot of my favorites, which was uh, a thrill. What was interviewing Michael Jackson like uh, right after Thriller? That's the era we're talking about. No, it was before that. It was in between. It was when Rock with You was out. Oh, okay. it was at his house in Encino. He did very few interviews. Ah. Uh, it was it was before he became as you know massively big as he would become. Right. But he was obviously pretty big just off off the wall and don't stop till you get enough. Um, shy, you know, very sensitive. Again, he was talking about how uh, he was talking in much more emotional terms that than artists generally do uh, in an interview. And I think he f- came to the decision that he didn't want to do it. He didn't do any interviews during Thriller with anyone uh, because he, he would rather have a mystique than give it all away in an interview. And um, so he built a, you know, a mystique where he was kind of unknowable, kind of Howard Hughes-ish. That's kind of uh, what Adele has done with her latest album. She doesn't tweet that much. She actually kind of did go away for for a couple of years. We didn't really hear anything from her. She started a family, but you know, coming off the the biggest album of all time, which we actually uh, ranked the biggest Billboard 200 albums of all time uh, last year in, in 21 was uh, number one based on chart performance. So she's actually the rare artist who still kind of values that 
that mystique that, again, it's just so much harder to have uh, nowadays. But another example of how uh, some artists uh, go back to how some of the greats before them uh, tried, tried to uh, be in the spotlight or, or not be in the spotlight as much as they wanted. Yes, you make a good point how she stands out in many ways, um, uh, including the fact that she doesn't have to play the game as much as most artists do, the fame game. You know, she can take time off and because uh, she's really good. You know, she, she has, a, uh, I think, a more legitimate talent than a lot of people with that voice. So uh, you did uh, chart beat through uh, 1992, uh, Paul, and then you covered, uh, as you said, uh, Yahoo Music. You did uh, Chart Watch. Where did uh, one thing I think I haven't asked you yet is where did that love of writing, that that clever uh, turn of phrase that you uh, always use in your writing, where did that come from? Was it part of your your education, uh, your your upbringing? Did you read a lot? Where did where did the writer in you develop? That's a good question. I, I, I remember in junior high, an uh, English teacher said, uh, uh, complimented me on my writing, and I never really had an outlet for it. I didn't work on the school paper in either high school or college. Oh. But as I started to tell you, in my, in my uh, junior year uh, at UCLA, I majored in communication studies, I started going up to Billboard, and they, you know, were happy to have me do some um, freelance writing and uh, writing about the, what was happening on the charts and so forth. Uh, so I did that, uh, and I and I have to give credit to Bill Wardlow, who was the chart director, Elliot Teagle, who was the managing editor. And Elliot, uh, when I was maybe 23 or so, and I was probably on staff by this point, I was working on a story where I mentioned the Doobie Brothers, and I, I wrote B-R-O-S. And he came back to my desk and said, is this, is this how this is supposed to be stylized, B-R-O-S? Because Warner Brothers, the record company, is B-R-O-S. Right. But, you know, I, I remember thinking, you can't be serious. There's not one person who's going to be confused about this. <laughs> uh, you know, but I humored him and called. And, of course, he's right. It is brothers spelled out. And it changed my life in, in a way because... I never wanted to be, you know, caught up short again. And and he's right that everything is right or it's wrong, you know. And no detail is too small to get right. right. And um, so to this day, you know, I'll, if I don't remember if it's Captain Antonio or the Captain Antonio and is it an and or an ampersand, you know, I'll look it up. And I, uh, I'm i still in touch with Elliot, you know, mostly through email. And I, I reminded him of this story a few years ago. And, and had a chance to thank him for it because it was a small thing. It was, you know, but it but it made a big impact on me. And, and no matter what you're writing about, you should aim to get it uh, as close to perfect as you can. And anybody who doesn't think it matters, uh, you know, whether it's Brothers or BROS, is in the wrong field, either journalism or writing as you and I do about the charts. You know, you have to get get all those details right. I, I totally agree with that. 
uh, does it make you sad in some ways when you see how writing online is is so much more casual now? The way people now write, it's almost uh, like you know, texts in some ways. We've seen it in music. We see uh, hashtags in in song titles now, and what a reflection of, of how uh, how society changes. But I think there's always going to be people who respect uh, the rules of writing, and you know, as long as you're getting your your main points across, that's that's the main thing. But uh, I think there is a, an art that should be respected about uh, trying to say things as clearly as accurately uh, and accurately as possible. I like the speed of online, right. the fact that something can be up immediately. In the 70s, before Chartbeat, uh, there was a newsletter that Billboard published called Hotline. And I wrote the chart commentary for Hotline, it was an advanced look at the Hot 100 and the album chart and probably one or two other charts. And then some chart commentary, and it was stapled together and went out in the mail on Wednesday, and subscribers would get it by about Friday. And that was what passed for, you know, speedy delivery back then. Because <laughs> it was obviously before the Internet. Right. And, and that, that was guaranteed to get to them before the regular issue, which would probably arrive on Monday. Um, so now, you know, within, you know, as soon as the chart's finalized, the column is online right. and, you know, it's, it's a little, a little, so there are pluses and minuses to, um, to the speediness and informality of, of putting things online. And the good thing about online is not that we ever make a mistake, but if we ever do make a mistake, we can fix it. But not that that ever yeah, happens. Never. It's easier to fix. <laughs> well, that's great, uh, Paul. Thank you so much, really, just for uh, taking some time. I, I, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm a huge chart geek. Uh, I say that proudly. I know so many people who read uh, Billboard Army. We 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 have so much coverage of all different things in the music business, and Billboard.com has just you know, evolved to be such a great website with video and song premieres and reviews and just so many different angles. But yeah, I think uh, a lot of people still just love the charts. They still love reading about all the different records and. Uh, we should just all know that you're the person that started that. So, again, there was just no one else. I wanted to be the first guest for the first Chartbeat podcast here on Billboard.com. And we should close, Paul, with the uh, the famous quote you always said at the end of the year in Chartbeat. You always wrote in that last one in December your, your, your bit of poetry about uh, wow. the charts and life. Let's bring that back for everybody. May you always have a, a star on the chart of life. <laughs> Which was the star, I you know, was before the bullet. Now, <laughs> now I think they're called bullets. There but, you go. Yes. Well, thank you. Wow, you you were a reader. I, you know, so many of us who work here, uh, Trevor Anderson, who who's uh, one of the younger members of our department, he he first wrote in to uh, to the Ask Billboard mailbag that I do for Billboard.com. He he had a a question or two uh, that I answered, and then uh, then I, I talked to him while he was uh, in college. He wanted some advice about the charts, and now he's working for us. So uh, yeah, sometimes we get uh, the big chart fans, uh, me, uh, Trevor, you. Uh, we wind up coming through here. So uh, it's, it's just it's a great community. It's, it's just cool to know that, that around the world there are people who, who love all the details of, of uh, music like this. And it's all good. It's all fun. It's, it's all win-win. It's, we're just talking music. It's not uh, – nothing bad can happen. Uh, if we make a mistake, we make a mistake. But at the end of it all, it, it, it's music and charts. It's, it's just uh, all, all fun things that enrich our lives. I, I agree. Well said. Paul Grine, thank you so much for coming on the very first – Billboard Sharpie podcast. 
Thanks, Gary. I had a good time. Let the